Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, joined by the lovely, the wonderful John Ronaldo. John, how's it going today? I'm lovely today. I love it. I, I must be the makeup I put on, the hair and all that I did. I, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you for the compliment. I am lovely. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Well, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I'm excited uh, today because we have <laughs> I get another guest. I love when we have guests on the show. Not that I get bored of our conversation or anything like that, but you know, uh, what can two just guys talk about at nauseum for what is this episode ninety four? Like uh, ninety four episodes where we're just talking about church ministry. So to bring in new perspectives and new insight, and I'm personally excited because I've not had the opportunity to have a conversation with this person. I know you know her, but I've heard heard so many amazing things about her. So John, why don't you introduce today's guest on the show? Yes, I am excited because uh, today we have Brenda Noriega with us today, and she is the Young Adults Ministry Coordinator for the Diocese of San Bernardino (laughs) in Southern California. But uh, I met Brenda uh, because she was actually one of my students at Santa Clara University when I was teaching a class on faith, youth, and culture. And so that's how we first met. Brenda, thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm enjoying uh, being with you guys and hearing all about your makeup and your hair, <laughs> you know. That's something I didn't see in the classroom, so. <laughs> <laughs> what, you're saying I, I didn't dress up enough in the classroom. That was my issue, right? <laughs> So, so, Brenda, just a quick question about John as a professor and everything. Was he like one of those soft people that could not give anyone less than an A minus? Like, it was just like A for effort, you know? Sort of. No, you know, the things that he would challenge the students. So, yeah, uh, I mean, he was nice, but at the same time, he was like, hmm, what about, you know? So, okay. Yeah, no, he was good. Let me tell you, to be honest, he was good. I'm not buying it, but okay, that's fine. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm, just kidding. I'm, I'm going to pass this podcast on to my dean uh, at Santa <laughs> University, Joe. If you're listening to this, she said, "Okay, so. yeah. give the man a raise." No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, there you go. Well, good. Well, Brenda, I'm excited. And one of the reasons we want to invite you to be part of this episode today is is we want to spend some time talking about. Bastoral Juvenil, Young Adult Ministry, uh, uh, Youth Ministry in the context of uh, Latino culture. And that's obviously uh, a big part of what you do in the Diocese of San Bernardino, given how diverse the diocese is. And, 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 and just a snapshot for folks, uh, I did teach a class in, in the Diocese of San Bernardino as well. And one of the things that I learned about the diocese is, is, is that there are a lot of Latinos, but What's really interesting is that they're coming from all sorts of Central American countries. So a lot of people just default to, oh, you know, it's a lot of Mexicans, but that's not the case. What you have in San Bernardino, my understanding is uh, a huge Nicaraguan population, a huge Guatemalan population. And so I want to spend some time having that conversation. What what does pastoral juvenil look like today? And really maybe even get into how does that differ or the same from some of the other things we're doing in youth and young adult ministry uh, across the country. So first, Brenda, there's a lot of questions there. So let's start. What is your role? What do you do in the Diocese of San Bernardino? Uh, and then kind of delve into, you know, what, what's happening in pastoral juvenil in your area and whatever you know across the country as well. Hmm, what do I do? <laughs> so, uh, let me see. Well, I, I'm a consultant. I'm a formator. Um, 
I create materials for this is, um, like you said, my role is young adult ministry, and that includes Hispanic uh, young adults, but which is Pastora Juvenil. Um, but I, I really do a little bit of everything because, as you know, we don't have a lot of resources when it comes to young adult ministry, so I have to create them. Um, I put together like um, events as well, what we call um, direct services and indirect services. So my priority is indirect services. I like to accompany the ministers and that's something I, I focus on. I have um, my one-on-ones. I don't, I don't give up on my one-on-ones. I love having one-on-ones with people. But um, I also advocate for ministry, for young adult ministry with the pastors. Um, I make sure that other offices, and this comes directly from Bishop, or Bishop Barnes is just amazing. And he mandated that every single diocesan committee needed to have young adults as part of the committee. And his hope is that parishes are going to follow his example of including young adults in the conversations. So our offices call me sometimes and is like, oh, do you know any good young adult that can come and be part of the social justice conversation, right? Anybody who is good with um, like a young couple that is, is good for marriage encounter or something. So, um, so yeah, I'm a little bit of everything when it comes to young adults, uh, to my job. It's just anything regarding young, young people between 18 to 39 years old. And moving on to now what you said on Pastora Juvenil. Pastora Juvenil is very diverse, not only because we have many countries without um, Latin America, but it's also diverse because part of Pastora Juvenil are the indigenous communities from Latin America. Just yesterday, I had a meeting with the Mayan community, and I met these two young men from the Mayan community who went to this national encounter of Mayan descendants and Mayan people as well. So they are primarily from Guatemala, these tribes, and they still, even these young people, they are between um, one of them, I think is 19, and the other one is 17. And both of them speak their dialect still. You know, one of them came in 2014, and they are part of Pastor Ajuvenil. When I was talking to them about, okay, what are their needs? What are their priorities? You know, education, unfortunately, is not, is not one of them because they need to feed their families here and they need to feed their families back in their countries. So that changes the reality of how we do ministry, right? How do, even how we minister to them. Um, so that is a part of the diversity of Pastora Juvenil, but then we also have the other part, which is the Hispanic young people that are born in the, U, in the United States that do not come from an indigenous community, that come from urban places um, back in their countries or their parents do, but then we have, because they are different, the ones that come from the tribes and the others or indigenous communities. And then we have those who come from urban um, communities. And then we have those who have, uh, who are born in the United States. And then it gets even more complicated 
because for those who are in the U.S., we have the 1.5 generation, the second generation, the third generation. And the way they behave and their, their realities and the way they live out their faith, it's just different. So pastoral juvenil nowadays is not only about the language. Back in, even 10 years ago, it was about doing ministry in Spanish and just following popular piety. And then you had pastoral juvenil. That was very easy to uh, differentiate one from the other. But nowadays, um, something we've seen, especially after, through the process of Quinto Encuentro, is that Pastora Juvenil can be done fully in English, as in language. But when it comes to the content of the ministry and how we do ministry, then it changes. Yeah, I, I can really appreciate that because, you know, as someone who, um, I've been in ministry for like 15 years and just seeing how much diversity and multiculturalism has just, I wouldn't say evolved because of that, you know, but my awakening to that, right, <laughs> of just the complication of it and appreciating just the multi-layers. And you mentioned that, like, language was the unifying factor, you know, originally, or that's how you thought, I guess, this was going to bring people together. What are you seeing as pathways to, with, with people coming from so many different backgrounds and um, experiences and, and whatnot, what are you seeing as kind of the unifying factors uh, to bring people together through through the program? The culture. Um, I would say, and the values. We we still hold on to to values even. Um, this is funny, because in the, in the Diocese of San Bernardino, um, doing young adult ministry and ministry in English, or even my events when I have them in English, the people I have coming are Hispanic, you know? Like, um, at one point, even I was just thinking, why am I speaking English? <laughs> why are you making me like run the extra mile over here? But it's just because they prefer to speak English, you know? But then when you start praying, um, the prayers are, are one factor as well. I went to this uh, community in, uh, during Lent, one of our parishes, and they invited me to speak to the Hispanic young people. So I had non-Hispanics in the room, and because of that, I was going to respect them as well. So I did it all in English, or mostly in English, and then throw one and two things here and there in Spanish, or like La Chancla, you know, things that people recognize, even non-Hispanics will recognize La Chancla. There are memes about it. So, um, but it, funny thing, the, the ministers are non-Hispanic, they the youth ministry director. And at the end, they finished the prayer with our father in English. The kids didn't follow hmm. because they don't know it in English, you know, right, they know right, it in right. Spanish because faith was, has been passed on to them by their parents. So I think that culture is, is, it's a key factor. It's what unifies us. They will know the music, even if they don't speak the language. They will know the food. They will know the values, like that you better, you better behave. You better like follow the structures of your parents. Like you do not mess up with like chancla. You know, you do not mess up with mom. Um, like you know things like that. Like grandparents are sacred. Um, so those those core values that is still unify us as as culture, but also popular piety is still a strong 
um, it's like a string, a strong bond among Hispanics. And I will even dare to say that pain unifies like or stories of migration because if it's not my own story of migration it's gonna be my 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 parents the story of migration or it's gonna be my grandparents story of migration and for most of the young people they know those stories of or they've heard of those stories or they know that that reality exists among their own people because they see it on tv they see how it is and they know that somebody from their country immigrated here you know somebody from their family immigrated and yeah. they went through it and like that i'm making sense no yeah that makes sense I, and i and i can appreciate that because um john knows this and, and some of our listeners um i'm in maryland but i have a large hispanic population um in our parish it's it's almost 50 50 right and i didn't think about there's so many times where you know I, i've been working on my spanish for years and uh it's it's pathetic but um you know, even knowing the prayers, like starting out with the prayers, if I, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? If, if, if I can at least during, like if I'm not going to be able to give a talk or a message in Spanish, but then end it in the Spanish uh, translation of Our Father or, or Glory Be or Hail Mary, that's a way of bringing inclusion in, in a diverse and multicultural, because it, it's cultural, it's not necessarily the language, it's, 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 does this feel like home, right? And mm -hmm. we want people to feel like home. And so if we can pull out familiarities, things that remind them of home, then they're going to feel more comfortable in the church setting. Is Would that be right? Am I? No, no, that's, that's correct. And, okay. and it's also because, I mean, not that other cultures are not, but somehow the Hispanic community, it's so Marian. Like we really love Mary. So if you bring up, uh, you know, you do a Hail Mary at the end, it's like, oh, yay. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Well, and, and we've got actually a large Eastern European population here. And, and so we do stuff for Our Lady of Guadalupe. And then we do um, some really um, incredible pull. I'm blanking on the names of the traditions. But it's one thing that our parish really does try to do well. But I'm even thinking within the youth ministry. But, yeah, like the devotion to Mary and and uh, including that. So no, that, that, that's, that's good to hear. One of the, I think one of the interesting things that you brought up earlier is, is, is about labels, the labels that we create, and, you know, for people. And so often what happens in church ministry is we will, will group people into kind of one entity, right? So they're of Latin origin, they're Hispanic. And so they're, they all must be the same, right? And, and we don't just do that for Latinos. I mean, we do that for everybody. That's kind of what we do. But what you're describing is a very, even in the context of, of the Latin culture and Latinos, Hispanics, is, is that it's very different. So not only you have people coming from different countries, so what, what popular piety is in Mexico might be a little bit different than popular piety in Nicaragua or, or Guatemala, right? And so we need to be culturally sensitive to that. But also you mentioned generations. So not only you got people coming from different countries, but you got those that migrated here. You got first generation, second generation, third generation. And you mentioned 1.5 generations. So I didn't want to let that slip because there might be some people listening. It's like, 1.5 generation like what does that mean so tell us a little about this dynamic of generational differences between hispanic young people in san bernardino and beyond so let's start with the 1.5 generation. so we consider the first generation those who arrived if uh, some sociologists think that um or they consider the first generation the ones that are born in the u.s 
for us, what we've been doing with the process of Encuentro, uh, we are saying that the first generation is the, the, the migrant generation. And then the 1.5 generation is anybody who arrives before the age of 13. But then older people say before the age of 17. And pretty much what, what happens with the 1.5 generation, we are, you are really from two lands. You are not from, um, from here, you are not from over there. Uh, because you still have, most of the 1.5 generation still have the memories of, of their land. I am an example of the 1.5 generation. Um, I came at the age of 17. Now, according to sociologists, because I'm a little bit weird with, with this, according to sociologists, I should be more, um, a little bit less enculturated in, in the United States. I should be a little bit less assimilated, saying it that way. I should be more connected to my own roots. And I am. But <laughs> this is funny. I, I guess my experience, because I speak English most of the time, even when I write, I always write first in English. And then I translate it into Spanish does not come on and yet I'm not a hundred percent fluent in English so um, this can be for two reasons one as soon as I came to the United States I had to learn the language and pass the cases if I wanted to go to college the cases for those of you listening out of the California realm um, the cases are the California exit exit exams and we don't do them anymore but we were tortured with them <laughs> for some time. So, um, and that's in high school. That's the, uh, the high school exited exam. So um, I had to pass the cases if I wanted to apply for college and go to college. I knew that that was not an option for me because I saw my dad graduating from college at the age when I was 13. So, and I saw the struggle that he went through. Um, so that moment, I, I, I knew I wanted to have a career. And therefore, I needed to learn English if that was going to happen in this country because it was now my, my new home. So maybe that's the reason why um, I now like speak more English. And I'm actually in both cultures. Like I know both cultures. But usually with people that come in my age, like, after 17, that's not common, but it is common with those who come at the age of 10, 11, 12, or 13. So you are in two lands. You know, your heart is in both places. You know both cultures. Now, when we go to the second generation, the second generation is going to be the same um, as, and they feel divided. They are in both lands, but they are more from the United States. They are like hybrids. Um, yeah, they are of two lands, but they have, they have more attachment to the US than the 1.5 generation do. Then you have the third generation with a third and the second generation might speak Spanish or might not. The 1.5 generation will for sure speak Spanish. The second and we're going to have an accent, most of us, when it comes to English. With the second generation, they're going to, if they are fluent in both languages, because my friends, I have a couple of friends who are second generation fluent in both languages, they have no accent in any language, right? Like that is, you can even identify them by that. Um, interesting thing about the second generation. Sometimes they are more 
Hispanic, culturally speaking, than the 1.5 generation because they are trying to rescue it. They are trying to hold on to it because their parents are forcing them to. And they really, you know, like my friends who are born in this country, they know more history of Mexico than I do. And I guess it's because I grew up in Mexico and like, it's like, yeah, sure. Okay. So what? Um, they know more like songs and especially all these songs like from Mexico. Um, I grew up in Mexico, so I'm more in the modern area of Mexico, if that makes, I don't know if I'm making sense with that. It, yeah, it, no, that may, yeah, sorry, sorry, to, I was just getting excited because I, I grew up, first 10 years of my life, I grew up overseas, um, in Japan, Hong Kong, and New Zealand, and I remember having this deep desire to learn Americana, right, like to, even though my, both of my parents were born in the U.S., and, you know, um, and all my family had lived there, just living overseas being like, I just, I want to know every unique detail and feeling insecure moving back to the States, you know, not really knowing the um, Pledge of Allegiance or the uh, Star Spangled Banner and then just going hyper-focused into that to the point where um, I think I know so much more about American history than my peers who grew up in, you know, um, going to school in the U.S. And, and so I think there is that desire for the homeland right where when you yes. are away it's that desire for home and you don't want to lose that sense of what home is um i probably actually have more jersey pride now living outside of new jersey than i did when i lived in new jersey so that's like you know another thing as well but but yeah so i it was interesting as you're saying that i was like yeah that's how i felt as a kid i, I totally remember feeling that way yeah and, and you know some kids um are actually not what happens with the second generation when they are little they're gonna reject it but then once they get to like college it's almost like if they are drifting back to their identity like trying to to find themselves and part of that as of that search uh, for for their identity includes the roots you know their parents the culture all of this and I, I keep seeing it. I keep seeing it even with, with my nieces and with my brother. And my brother came at the age of 10. And I still see it. But then we go to the third generation. The third generation most likely is not going to speak Spanish. But they know all the culture. You know, they know the songs. They know the food. Culturally, they know it all. But the language, they are not going to speak it. And that's not because they don't want to. It's because... It was it got lost you know I, I think this is really interesting conversation because what we're talking about is identity right what is the identity of folks and, and our identity is important so uh, you you using myself as an example so by your definition then i i would be a third generation mexican uh my mom was born here but my abuelita was born in in tepic in nayarit uh and, and so we have these roots in mexico and what's really interesting is is and and my other half is Swedish, so most people would never guess by any skin color or looks, you know, what that that you're, I happen to be tall. half Mexican. John, and, you're really tall. I you're am tall. tall. I can, my right. mom's pretty tall, actually. So yeah. that's part of the reason. But you know, so I, I I'm with you, Brenda. That that basically, the older I get, the more I actually am reconnecting back with my cultural roots, especially my Mexican roots. Uh, you know, and really claiming that identity more than I ever did as a young person. So as somebody who is 
mostly English speaking. I can do conversational Spanish uh, and I bring that in anywhere that I can, you know, but now, now that I have kids, for instance, like, and my mom lives in Mexico now pretty much full time that we try to be really intentional. My wife and I, who is Filipina, so you think I'm confused? Like my kids are like quarter Mexican, quarter Swedish, half Filipino. So, you know, we'll see what happens there, right? But, but we go down to Mexico and I'm connecting my kids with their cousins who live in Mexico and their aunt and uncles who live in Mexico so that they have that connection. But it's really about identity. And quite honestly, as a, as a third generation Mexican myself, when I was growing up, I was really confused. And, you know, and I'm like, what, what am I? Who am I? Am I Chicano? Am I first, second generation? Am I, am I, am I American? Am I Mexican? Like, those are, are natural questions for young people to be asking. And I imagine that's got to play an important role in Pastoral Juvenil and, and how we have these conversations and dialogues with young people today. Yes, that's right. And that's why um, in many ministries of Pastoral Juvenil, if, if not saying that at all, we try to fight for for the language. We try to fight to in, um, to integrate the the culture, um, because we know that that is part of the, their identity, and we know that that is part of what they're gonna seek, you know, if in in the future as young adults. Um, and here speaking about the youth, um, we know that it's important because their abuelitas. And we get, for us abuelitos, the grandparents are so important um, as they are for many other cultures. You know, the Filipinos are huge as well. On, actually, Filipinos and Mexicans, as you probably know by now, <laughs> are very connected. Um, we have a lot of similarities in, in culturally speaking. And so the abuelitos play a huge role for us. And abuelitos don't, the grandparents don't speak the language so when the youth lose the language they are losing a bridge with their family they are losing uh, the umbilical cord pretty much right and that's why in pastoral juvenil we make an extra effort we make an effort to still do things in spanish to still bring in the language as as part of the culture, as part of the identity of the ministry. Um, as when we do youth ministry, is the, it's almost the opposite. It's almost like we don't talk about culture. We are all together. We are all unified. We are all um, homogenized. You know, like, um, if that, am I saying it right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, homogenized, um, yes. Homogenized, yes. So, and with Pastora Juvenil, it's, is the opposite, you know, we recognize diversity in, in the unification. I think that's an important takeaway for, for everybody in ministry in general, not just those involved in, in Latino ministry, Pastoral Juvenil, but is, is this idea that we are unified, right? We're unified by our faith and by our beliefs and stuff like that, but also celebrating and recognizing the differences that that make us who we are as church. I, I think that's what's so cool about being church today, especially in the United States, is that diversity. And Chris, you're talking about your parishes, you know, is it's very multicultural. Uh, you know, being born and raised in California myself and having been involved in, in, in churches in California, that's the norm, right? That this 
the, the, these cultural differences are just the norm in so many parishes. I know that's not true across the country everywhere, but, but what you're saying is celebrate unity, celebrate diversity. Right. And that's, I think that, that that's like, that's gold right there. You know, how do we do that as ministers? How do we celebrate unity? How do we celebrate diversity in a way that's unifying, you know? And I think that's, I think that's the challenge. Brenda, tell me a little bit of how important do you think it is for young people of Hispanic origin to see faces that look like them at the altar, in ministry leadership? Is, is that important? Because I, I know we have this conversation a lot, certainly on the national level, you know, when, when we think about conferences and stuff like that. How important is it that people see people that look like him at the pulpit, at the altar, in church leadership? Hmm. I think, well, I'm in California, so we see all type of faces <laughs> um, at, at the altar in leadership position because it's, it's diverse. Um, so probably I will say for us, but anyway, think about it. It is crucial, I think, for any culture to see representation, not only for the Hispanics. Um, I, I want to say this is even part of, uh, it's almost an anthropological question, you know, because it's part of who we are as human beings, the identity, and to um, identify with others. Um, so as soon as we see somebody who looks like us, we have a certain trust automatically but that's something in like that's something in our dna pretty much it doesn't that's that's not particularly to hispanics but what is important is an example here when i took the position in the diocese of fresno that was my first diocesan position i as the hispanic ministry coordinator for the diocese i took it at the age of 25 when I took that position, I was the youngest person in the United States in that role in Hispanic ministry, because we have young people in the offices of youth and young adult ministry, but we don't usually have them in offices as Hispanic ministry, social justice, family life, whatever, right? So um, I was going to all these conferences where uh, in meetings where everybody there was like my parents or my grandparents and I, but they were all Hispanic. I knew um, I was able to just, you know, uh, lay on them. Um, and when I left the position, when I left the position, <laughs> my former boss told me that a lot of young adults were applying for the position, which didn't happen before. And that even some of them brought up during the interview, brought me up during the interview that they said something like, why are you applying for the position? And they were like, well, Brenda was doing it, right? <laughs> and I was like, what did you mean? And I told her what they thought, like, it was easy. And she said, no, they said it in a positive way. You inspire them just because you are young and they saw you there. They knew that it was possible to do it. So the same thing applies when it comes to culture and race, right? We see a young, we see another Hispanic person doing it in a position of power, and not I want to say power in the in the position of decision making, because in the within the church, it's more about decision making process. But you, we see them in in positions um, that are important, um, and then we believe that it is possible for me as well to have a role 
if that, you know, I hope I'm making sense. So, but it comes to any culture, not particular of the Hispanic community, but now that we are so many Hispanics and we don't have enough Hispanic theologians and enough Hispanics in the decision-making process, um, then this is why it's important to like foment more vocations within the lady and specifically the Hispanic lay people. Mm-hmm. Well, and that brings up the whole idea of, of, of representation in terms of the, the whole bilingual, bicultural piece, right? One, one, we know it's a need, right? That, that we need bilingual ministers and fluently bilingual. But, but I would argue, you know, that, that bilingual ministers are not enough, you know, but we need people that also understand the culture where people are coming from, right? So that's the idea of bilingual, bicultural. So, Brenda, you're in a unique uh, position because, you know, you born you know, and raised in Mexico, and now you're here, you're bilingual and bicultural, and so you bring that reality, and, and quite honestly, I, I'm not surprised, you know, what happened in Fresno, that a lot of these young people were applying for those positions because of you, and I think that's a powerful lesson for dioceses and churches in general, is, I, is you put young people in positions of authority, of influence, is really what you were getting at, right, when you talked about power, it's really influence, right, you know, mm-hmm. as, as you put young people, you put Latinos, you put people who represent the community in these these powers of uh, positions of influence in churches and dioceses that you, people become think that it's now possible that I can do that. That's huge. I mean, I, I just think that's huge that that happened. And so your legacy, Brenda, I think continues in certainly in Fresno and obviously the influence that you're having in San Bernardino. And I know that you're getting more and more involved in the national level as well. So people are getting to see you uh, as as a as a a voice an important voice in this and so i really want to affirm that because i just uh, y- you are an amazing leader in the church i think the church is so blessed to have you uh and san bernardino is so blessed to have you so i think that's huge why did i know this when i was your student i could have got it like easily on me well you know i can't show bias in class so. yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I just want to, I want to kind of jump on what like John was saying too, in the regards of, and I think this is a valuable leadership principle. Anytime you put yourself out there, you're giving people permission to go second. Right. And, um, it's, if you, if you don't see anyone else, this is just the message I think to all our listeners, if you don't see anyone else out there, maybe God's calling you to, to be the one to step into the void, to step into the, the unknown so that you can give not to, to, do it well. well. I mean, you will do it well, but to, to give people permission to come after you and uh, to to do something that maybe they were a little bit afraid to do. So, you know, Brenda, like, yeah, just in these couple of minutes of uh, hearing your story and hearing what you're involved in, um, yeah, I'm just excited to 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 see exactly where God is leading you and um, and taking this. And so, uh, thank you so much for being a part of the Church Podcast. No, absolutely. Thank you guys for, for the invitation. But just something I want to say, because I think it's important and it's coming to my mind, is that a non-Hispanic can serve the Hispanic, commun- the Hispanic community. And also a Hispanic person can serve non-Hispanics. And we shouldn't be talking about just serving our own or those who look like us and sound like us, whatever. We, within, in the, in the Catholic Church, there shouldn't be um divisions and differences we are all brothers and sisters and we should just come and and see and sit with it sit with um just sit and talk about our stories 
and serve each other. Yeah. Well said. Amen. What a great yeah. way to end. I, awesome. like, there's nothing more to say after that. So yeah, we, we should just hit pause right now. No, yeah, good. exactly. <laughs> Brenda, <laughs> Brenda, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It is a, a pleasure and honor to have you on the church podcast. And so um, you talked a little bit about Encuentro. Uh, for those of you uh, who are listening to this episode, we'll, we'll post a link to an episode that we did uh, with Armando Cervantes way back in episode 50 about the Encuentro, uh, the Quinto Encuentro. And so if you want to hear a little bit more about about uh, what Brenda was talking about there, you go ahead and listen to that episode and we'll link to that in the show notes. Just go to thechurchpodcast.org and uh, you'll see it on episode 94 um, um, and you'll see a link to, to, to that. And so again, Brenda, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, if people want to connect with you or reach out to you, Brenda, how, what's the best way that they can connect with you? They can connect with me through Facebook and my, they can find me on Facebook just like that. Brenda Noriega. Noriega is N-O-R-I-E-G-A. And I have a picture with Pope Francis, so you cannot miss me. I'm wearing pink, my favorite color. And um, they can find me on Instagram as well. Brenda underscore Noriega underscore Y-A for young adult ministry. Y-A ministry. Great. Very good. And we'll have links uh, to that on the show notes as well on episode 94. Good. Yeah. Thank you. And um, if people uh, want to reach out to us um, uh, or uh, uh, have questions or anything about this uh, stuff we talked about today or in previous episodes, feel free to reach out to us at questions at the church podcast.org. Uh, you can always go to our website, the church podcast.org. And uh, if you want to reach out to John specifically, John, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me at parishsuccessgroup.com, but also just look for John Ronaldo on Facebook and Twitter, as well as LinkedIn. We'd love to connect with you there, too. And you can find me at marathonyouthministry.com um, or on uh, social media anywhere, Marathon Youth Ministry as well. Uh, um, and if you are a listener, we would love for you to leave a review on iTunes. Tell us how we're doing um, and how charming John is or how dashing I am, you know, or the opposite. We'll, we'll take Chris. How, anyway, how lovely uh, I am. I believe it's how you described me. How I'm, lovely I am. I'm, I'm trying to build on to the, uh, build on to the description of John. But Very good. Anyway. Um, Re uh, Brenda, we have a, a tradition where uh, we always end in prayer um, our episode. So would you uh, be open to closing our church podcast in prayer? In the um, language of your choice, please. Oh, I'll be an honor. I'll do it in Spanish. <laughs> please do. Nombre Padre del Hijo del Espíritu Santo. Amen. Padre Celestial, en el nombre de tu Hijo Amado Jesucristo, venimos ante tu presencia, Padre, para darte gracias por, por este día. Darte gracias porque nos permite servirte um, aún sin merecerlo porque trabajas en nuestras vidas, porque vas delante de nosotros. Te pedimos, Padre, que, que mandes tu santo espíritu, así como en Pentecostés, que nos renueves ese llamado de, que recibimos en nuestra confirmación, que lo renueves cada día, que renueves nuestro llamado bautismal también cada día, que nos hagas misioneros tuyos, que nos des el valor de ir a encontrarnos con otros y sobre todo la humildad, para poner nuestras barreras, nuestros egos, cualquier cosa que nos impida ver a, a nuestros hermanos como hermanos, que nos impida trabajar junto con ellos, que, los, que, lo, que lo derribes tú con, con tu infinito poder, 
y que nos unifiques en la iglesia para trabajar para la construcción de tu reino. Te lo pedimos en el nombre de tu Hijo amado Jesucristo. Amén.